Before we start today's podcast, we just wanted to take a minute and say a very special thank you to all of our patrons, but especially our Dragon Tier. Thank you so much, F. Sutton, Beth, Charles, Nicole, Kirsten. You guys are helping us make this happen, and we appreciate you all from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you. All right. So you guys have had a little bit of time in the tavern now. Just enough time to discuss everything that has happened previously in the campaign. You know there are three different directions to go. You can pursue the lost souls of time. You can make the deal with the demon. Or you could rescue the princess. Um, okay, that's pretty big decisions. Um, I want to take the fourth option. I want to go into the corner of the tavern and brood. Oh, oh, oh Okay. Did you did you say there was a goblin at the bar? When no, we I didn't. In? Didn't say anything about a goblin. I'm pretty sure you said there was a goblin in the bar. There's no there's no goblin here. Is it Bob? Can you roll for that, please. <sighs> yeah, fine. Okay, yeah. So there's a goblin in the bar. Um, I go talk to the goblin. Uh, I also want to talk to the goblin. Is it Boblin? I would also like to sure, talk to the sh- goblin. Sure, it's Boblin. It's Boblin. Boblin. Hey. He's right. always got good quest. Let's go. Let's take a Boblin quest. No, yeah. he, he does. He doesn't have any quest. Oh, of course. It's Boblin. He has a quest. Oh, okay, fine, fine. So, uh, Boblin the Goblin has a quest for you guys to rescue his uh, brother Schmitty. Okay, let's go rescue Schmitty. What do you guys think? Aye. Yes. All right. I mean, yeah. Let's go for Boblin. For fine, Boblin. fine, fine, fine. Right. Welcome into Legend Lore, brought to you by Strange New Worlds Productions. And uh, I am Dungeon Master Mike, and I'm looking across the table at the most beautiful eyes another man could ever stare into. And that's, uh, yeah, pointing at you, B. Yeah. Me? Yeah. Me? Yeah, you got pretty eyes. It's like my only redeeming feature. That's, that's, that's Dungeon Master Cody. You guys are really not good on the. Well, I'm kind of, well no, I'm just. I'm Tee just, it up, boys. Oh, hold on, I'm just upset. <laughs> is this that our first podcast? Or he, <laughs> he is saying that he, you know, Cody has the best uh, eyes. I mean, just you know, I, well, I, I would say hair. Uh, you're, it's you're true. A redhead. It's, it's true. So but yeah, you have the, 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 the most beautiful hair I've ever seen. Oh, thank you, Mike. Yeah. I, I'm Dungeon Master Popotine, by the way, or Matt. If you want to call me that? <laughs> I'm I'm Dungeon Master Rockfist, and I'm tall. <laughs> <laughs> Last uh, piece of shit on this roster is Dungeon Master Osborne. <laughs> so, was the uh, intro was a really good example of collective storytelling and free agency of the players, and that can mean a lot of things. But I'm kind of interested to know for you guys, what does collective storytelling mean? Um, well, I mean. Uh, obviously we know what storytelling is, right? Yeah. Like, you know, we've, we've all, when we were little kids would come in from playing with our friends and tell our mom or dad, like, Oh, you know, we did this, we did that. And so the idea of telling stories is something I think you learn very early on, but collective storytelling, I think is a really almost kind of unique thing that, that happens at the tabletop where you and a bunch of other players along with a dungeon master, along with some dice that have a say in what happened end up, 
affecting this narrative and coming up with something at the end that nobody fully could predict. It's honestly the one reason that I love DMing so much is because I might plan a story, but that story is probably not going to get to fruition. You know, we're going to, I'm going to plan for a, and a is going to lead you to B and B is going to lead you to C and C is going to lead you to D. And that when you get to D you're fighting the big bad, but the players might say, uh, actually we're going to go from a, then we're gonna go to X. Then we're going to come back over here to B. Then maybe we'll go all the way to Z. Then we'll come back. Then we're at D now because it's great. It just, you know, it gives them the, the agency to take over and actually tell the story. And as you, as a DM, you don't see things coming. So it kind of gives you a surprise and, you enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the one thing that I love about D&D and role-playing games in general is that no matter what you plan, a player is going to take you in directions that you never saw your story going. And what that does is it grows the story by leaps and bounds. And that's where the collective storytelling comes into play. And this is an old concept. Collective storytelling isn't really a new thing. We've been doing it since, you know, since we were cavemen sitting around a fire uh, expounding upon each other's tales and, and tale will be told again. And next thing you know, the woolly mammoth was, you know, 32 feet high, that kind of thing. But this is a whole new level of collective storytelling. When you come, you talk about being uh, uh, players in RDNs in a role-playing game. Uh, and one of the things I have enjoyed about this, especially with you guys with the campaigns is how many times you surprise me. And what I love about being surprised is then I have to, stretch my wings as a storyteller, right? I have to figure out how do you deal with this? You guys were supposed to go over here, but you went over here. You guys skipped a bunch of information over here. Am I going to come back to that? Is it eventually going to come back there? I don't know. Do I railroad? Do I just let it play out? So there's a lot of challenge to that for me, and I love being challenged at the table. It's interesting because I think that it's it's really challenging. It's also rewarding when you pull it off, right, and you react well to what the players are doing, it's also really terrifying, especially if you're new at being a dungeon master or maybe you pretty much have always just been a player. And, uh, you know, I can remember early on in Curse of Strahd feeling like I really, I had an obligation to keep you guys on the the right. narrative, right? Yeah. And then very quickly I realized, well, that's not happening. Like, you guys are going to do what you think your characters would do. And maybe I could predict that sometimes as a dungeon master and prep for it. And oftentimes I could not. Well, I think especially in a, in a situation like Curse of Strahd is it's such a sandbox, right? There's so many different avenues. There's so much detail, and especially after you fleshed it out. There was so much detail to that universe. It's almost hard to predict where the narrative is going to go. Now, we've been doing this a long time, so we can kind of predict things. Not with 100% accuracy. We're not, we're not like prophets. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would say that you'd be doing you and DMs in all sort of games uh, would be doing a disservice to your players when you railroad them. So really it's agency over plot, right? Or railroading. And you have to do a balance. You have to keep it so that they feel that they have freedom in it. And you have to do enough to make sure the plot is compelling enough and with enough, you know, points, plot points that force them in the direction it needs to go. But you would have done us a terrible disservice to keep us on the, book of that or what the book had planned for us because there's such a rich place and such a rich story to tell and receive and that might be to your own dismay because you might spend you know i'm, I'm sure everyone <laughs> at the table has spent multiple hours working on something and they're like man this is going to be so cool and then the players completely avoid it uh by the by roles or whatever they do but 
uh, as a DM, you just have to prepare for that. You know, the players might avoid your, you know, love child that you've made in this campaign and maybe they'll come back to it and you can, you know, revisit, you got it all prepped and ready to go, but you have to let them do that because, you know, they're telling the story with you. Yeah, absolutely. Because again, back to the collective storytelling and, and yeah, there's been many situations where you guys have completely surprised me with what you've done and all the prep that I put behind things were gone. So, and you know what? I actually love those moments. I'd love to improv that stuff. And Keenan, you're actually probably one of the best here at really, truly letting us drive the narrative. Thank you. That's because I really enjoy that. I find that when I let go of the reins and I let you guys really tell the story, I get to enjoy it a lot more. And I think that it creates a, a more unique experience for you to feel like you're actually living in the world and not just a character in a TV show. Right. Because a lot of D&D can play like that, that you, especially running a, a specific module and not a, a homebrew, you're going to feel like players in a movie, which is awesome, badass, super rewarding. But I like to provide that experience where it's a like I always ask, well, what do you do? Like you've landed in this new port. Like, what are you guys going to go do? You're going to go shopping and you'll write to where the objective is. You're going to just see what there is to see. And that really opens it up for me. And I'm good with rolling off the cuff with what you guys want to do. But to me, it's super entertaining. And I think that I tell me as you all play that game with me, is it, is it as rewarding as it is for the DMs listening? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. There's just that moment to, to know that, that whoever's running the story has given enough agency to your player but also giving enough consideration to who your characters are to let you kind of do what you need to do for a little while and sometimes yeah that can get off the rails a bit um but there's always ways you can kind of bring it back into if if things get too far off the beaten path but most of the time with experienced role players you really don't have to do that and with experienced dms don't have to do that uh one thing i was thinking about as if i was going to give advice to like new DMs about collective storytelling and, and uh, player agency is to embrace it fully, to yeah. let that be part of the narrative, to not try to control everything because nobody, nobody wants to be railroaded from point A to point B to point C to point D. And last week I, I had problem alphabet. I just did that pretty well there. Yeah, you did really <laughs> good. That's pretty good. See that like <laughs> that classic railroad example is like the eighties high school where the guy's like, Hey, I brought Dungeons and Dragons. He was like, Oh cool, I want to play. They all play and then he's like, No, you can't do that. Yeah. You can't do that. You can't talk to the goblin. They are they're evil only. You have to fight them. And it's like, Well, can I roll a persuasion or an intimidation to scare him away? Like, no, you have to fight them. They don't like you're forcing that's DMs forcing the players into what they want to happen and you have to realize that there's hopefully three to five other players around the table that have a say even if it's your story i I wonder if it's worse to tell a player no you can't or to viciously punish them for doing something you don't want right like could you tell that story of the dm that that that, um I, I forget the details. That's why I want you to tell temporary it. But I just, hit points yeah, like the end. temporary hit oh, points, yeah. and yeah, tell everybody yeah. what happened with that. Because so, I think it's a perfect uh, example. Not to name any names, just in case. Uh, so we were playing in a campaign, and we were uh, Charlie was playing this half ogre, uh, who he basically actually started off as a human. I think he got reincarnated into half ogre, and so he started off as a thief, but then he switched over to being a fighter. Obviously, with what stats he had, that was perfect for him, and he still had some of his, you know. Uh, low-level thieving abilities, right? So he was still pretty dexterous for a half-ogre, and we were in Mithdranor, the dreaded Nor, which you guys have no idea. That's something I hope someday Wizards comes back to for 5e. 
Uh, anyway, so we got there, and uh, the wizard buffed him up with some temporary hit points because this is a dangerous place where demons and ghosts and all kinds of crazy stuff are going to just pop out of nowhere and kick the crap out of you. So we buffed him up. So as we were walking through the ruins, going to our destination, all of a sudden he kept, the DM kept making Charlie's character roll dex checks. Nobody else was rolling a dex check, just his character. And of course, every time he failed, he fell into a pit or he fell, you know, or he, or he twisted his ankle. He took damage until eventually those hit points were worn off. Those temporary hit points were worn off. And then he, he made Charlie stop rolling rolls after that which is a classic case of, okay, your characters, your players did something very creative, right? They used the spell uh, for, for a very good reason and a very good moment in, in the story for such a thing to happen. And then he just took it all away because he didn't want him to have those temporary hit points. And that's, that's, to me, unacceptable. And that's, like, why you would start to not play with someone, unfortunately. Yeah. Because of that, I mean, honestly, you're just being a dick. Well, I mean... You know, think about in, in any in any relationship, right? Like if one person has more power over the other, like think of a, a manager at a job, right? Um, or a teacher in a classroom or whatever, right? The person who has power almost has a responsibility to the person that has less power to be respectful. Because even though you have some authority and power, when you exercise it on the person and they can't do anything about it, it's a very not enjoyable experience for that person. Right. So at the tabletop, we tease all the time, but it's true, right? Like the DM is God, right? That person can say it's raining. It's not raining. Goblins walk up, uh, you find treasure, whatever, like anything can happen through the voice of the DM. So as a DM, when you start punishing your characters for doing things and there should be natural punishments, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they should be able to do anything. Not punishments, consequences. Uh, consequences, yeah, which, were, which should word. be natural, right, for their decisions. There's a reason why going to path A instead of B is easier. Exactly, yeah, I totally agree with that. But, like, what Mike was describing to me, that's a DM who goes, well, I've got all this power. I don't like that you just gave him temporary hit points. I'm just going to bleed that off of him, and then we'll keep going with the story I want to tell. And players are going to walk away from that. How many years ago was that? Like, that was a long, and, long and, time and ago. You guys still talk about that as being yeah. an unpleasant gaming experience. And so there's a lesson in there for our listeners to be like, okay, just because you have this power over your players, you should be super, super conservative with using your power like that. And to piggyback off what John was saying is I think that, that come with, with power comes great responsibility. Yeah. No, but with, with that, with that, control, I guess, that power in the situation when you're in the DM seat. Your most important task as a DM, as far as I'm concerned, it's not necessarily knowing every rule in the book. It's not necessarily making the correct interpretations on rules that are questionable. It's not, you know, making sure that your story is told and it's told in your way. It's to make sure every player at the table is having fun. Absolutely. Because that's why we all do this. And to go back to what John had said, um, counter counterpoint a little bit is that though the DM is higher power, God, total control of the story, I like that there's actually a ton of mechanics in the game, especially in 5e, to change what he says. So if he does say it's raining, well, guess what? Druid does control weather. Yeah, it's a beautiful, sunshiny day. And that's just a super simple example of how players are naturally written into the game as influences on the game. Oh, That's absolutely. why you can roll an intimidation check to end a fight. 
Like that's something that the DM could, you could always just be like, no, you can't intimidate them. And sometimes there's little reasons and that's fine. Big bad can't be intimidated. Totally. But there's ways for players to exert their will on the game. And that's kind of what prove that to me, that proves that the DM isn't the only actor in this play. Right. And, and it is, and it is, and it is like a play, right? It is literally like improv. I mean, that's what role-playing is, is when you get right down to it. When you're role-playing around the table, it is improv between the characters and the DM, the NPCs and the characters. Everything is an improv. Uh, into something I was thinking about, too, was we are pretty good, most of us, uh, about making sure that there are a lot of avenues and choices to help along with that free agency. And I think, honestly, I think, Matt, you mastered what I think John and I have done really well. But I think in the, what I've seen in the Star Wars campaign is, as being the first thing I've ever played with you as a player, uh, was watching how well you handled all the different storylines and the different avenues and giving us choices at, at certain points. Yeah, I mean, that just comes, I mean, 100% comes from me being a player. And, I mean, just, you know, how having that storyline. You guys did it so well with, our, with you know, characters that I've played in DM is with our storylines. And I really feel having that each moment, each kind of, not a campaign, but like a little mini quest line. So basically everybody has a little quest line that's going to connect their character to their backstory somehow. You know, all the other characters are going to be there to enjoy it and fight along with them or join them in this story. But they're the main character in that story and not in that single quest line and trying to make them that main character. So they feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm I'm li- I'm fi- like I'm you know, living out my backstory. Right. I don't think it always has to be life or death either. Right. Like. I remember Cody at the Star Wars uh, campaign a couple sessions ago uh, was a little miffed at Mike's character and then literally had this entire <laughs> sub story of uh, would you like rig his toilet to I explode? Sabotage his toilet to explode. <laughs> I remember that. Reverse on him whenever he flushed it. It was freaking hilarious. <laughs> and I remember Matt's reaction was to be like, okay, well, here's the roles you need to make. Here's the checks you need to do. He had to say, you know, Cody had to like explain what he, he was trying to accomplish. Too. Like he, he used inspirations to, to pull off some of the checks. Yeah. And guess what? Mike's character's uh, toilet exploded on him. <laughs> it was great. That it, it did. Rewarding for and me. then who was the first people I called? Him. I believe you called me it. in there to fix the it. Yeah. <laughs> it. Must have been an easy fix, too. You know, you know I did exactly what was wrong. Matt's a great example of that blending stories because to me you're basically building you're you're braiding a rope like you have all these strands these story leads from all the different characters hopefully and your own and to make a good rope you have to braid multiple things together to make a strong rope you could just make it out of one piece of yarn but that's going to break that's not that's not rigid but when you have everyone's woven together you can actually produce something of value a true good experience and story for the party and the dm yeah, absolutely, and I think that. Oh, go ahead, Matt. Oh no, I was, I was gonna say, yeah, I, absolutely. That's how it feels. I mean, when you start a campaign, usually your characters. I mean, you might be best friends in real life, but when you sit at the table, your characters might not know each other at all. And it's the kind of that you know slow building as you're, like Skeen said, building this rope. You're forming bonds with the characters that people that you know are playing. Maybe you don't know them or whatever, but you know you're building that rope, building that bond, so that you can be a stronger party together. Right. I have a question for Cody, and uh, I hope you don't mind me springing this on you, but I really am curious what your answer is. So you you tease that you don't really DM a whole lot, but you have DM'd. Mm-hmm. And I know that you ran Curse of Strahd recently with some friends, right? As a newer DM but an experienced player, how did it feel when players would go off what, like, 
I won't say the script, but like they would go off maybe what you thought they would do. Did that feel like, was that a frustrating experience for you? Was that something that you were like leaned into and thought was great? Like how did that make you feel as a newer DM? Uh, it was really just kind of weird for me because they played in a way that is very opposite from the style that I've played for the past four or five years hanging out with you guys. Uh, all of our games are kind of like 80% story focused and then game mechanics are just kind of there to help with the story. Well, they were much closer to like 70% gaming mechanics and then the story is just kind of a fun way to use our gaming mechanics. So when you introduce, uh, you have to get from point A to point B, like traveling through the map, that's almost like a mini game. And it wasn't a great mini game, so we just kind of like skipped over that because they decided nobody really liked it. But then we'd be in a town and say, okay, what do you guys want to do? All right, well, uh, there's no like whiskey or, or vodka here, right? Like, no, it's all wine. Like, okay, cool. Well, I know how to make, you know, like me as a person, I know how to make uh, liquor. So I'm going to start up a distillery inside this town. <laughs> <laughs> all right, but. Leave it to players, man. Yeah, like that's, that's what you want to do. You know, you're in a freaking like gothic horror game, but you want to take the time to make a distill inside the, the the bar's tavern go go right ahead i guess to make some brandy and you know we, we role play it a little bit and i tell them like okay in about a week's worth of time you know we'll make some dice roll checks here and there and you'll have your still up and it'll be it'll be working for you and then someone else is doing another thing like i got a horse now so i want to uh design like some clothing for my horse so they're all about like the downtime kind of stuff they really enjoy doing weird or quirky or fun things during downtime and then they also really enjoyed combat mm. so i just made a lot of downtime stuff and a lot of combat stuff and the story was just kind of like the it was like the background yeah it was like a setting or like a background like you need a reason to go from here to there all right here's your plot point to get from here to there so, that's so awesome are they more are they more downtime playing or are they are they more dungeon crawl we didn't do any dungeon crawling, except for uh, Death House was a bit dungeon crawly-ish. Right. And they had a blast with Death House. I made them cry. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was real good. Every Enjoy your gold. painful yeah. tears. But yeah, they, they just, they loved the having their downtime. I think downtime was where they got to do their character development. Right, okay. Instead of making it some kind of, uh, you know, like, no, Luke, I am your father kind of big major plot point. Their plot points were I'm going to open up a business or I'm going to do this fun thing with my horse or I'm going to uh, – I can't even think of all the, the crazy shit that they did. Uh, one of the characters just wanted to go into people's houses and steal a random trinket. <laughs> <laughs> so really, I mean, you're talking about that they weren't – it wasn't a narrative-driven game. For You found a party that mm -hmm. of players that – weren't interested in the narrative well, and they were experience their experience or mechanics driven that's yeah. they wanted to yeah they had fun with the narrative but they wanted some kind of a mix between world of warcraft and and D. &D. yeah well that's, like, a, that's a really unique experience i guess in kind of a way that's that is i mean that is a form of collective storytelling in in its own sense right they were kind of doing the things that were true to their characters even though they might be more mechanically driven which oftentimes they're newer players right because, I mean, I think about when I first started playing, it was all mechanically driven. It was a lot of dungeon crawling. It wasn't until later on that I really discovered that the pleasures of role-playing, probably, you know, probably by, I'd say probably, I started in junior high. 
I probably really didn't discover the, the true pleasures of, of role-playing in the story collective until probably about my sophomore, junior year. And that's when I kind of got it. And that's when it clicked, when everything made sense. All of a sudden I went, oh, wait a minute. This is actually about a story we're telling altogether. That makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense, though, because it's harder. It, to follow mechanics is a lot easier because it's set rules. I can read them and I can do them, right? And I know I can. But when it comes to role-playing, there isn't really set rules. I mean, you can use deception, persuasion, and intimidation. But outside of that, what you do and say is it's a lot harder to do and it's a lot harder to uh, accept because there isn't a rule saying, hey, you can do that. If you spend two hours doing this, you can create that. It's just free form. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that I know Matt can talk to open oh, I'll get right back to you. I know Matt can talk talk about this too. Like also by the time I came to that realization about sophomore, junior year, I was deep into theater at the time too. And I know Matt's got a background in theater as well. So, One thing that was kind of weird when I was DMing for Strahd was that I always, I always DM for one shots. So plot points are kind of very heavily set in those, in my notes, right? Well, DMing Curse of Strahd for this group, it, it, there was no prep that I could really do for any specific session. I just kind of had the, the general giant picture of what this entire city looks like and then just have the basic idea of what would happen if they went over to A or if they went over to B and maybe I'd open up the book just to figure out somebody's name because there's like 37 names in Velaki. But I, I, I could not uh, have like an episodic session mm-hmm. with them. It was very much just a, what do you guys want to do? Where do you want to go? How do you want to get there? Right. And then we just kind of rolled with it. It was it was very player-driven game. Now, without judgment, I'm just asking, do you think there was things you could have done as a DM to make them care about the narrative more? Or do you I, think that they, as players they just didn't really care? I don't think there was a problem. Uh, that was just not the style of game. I don't think... I, I love having a narrative-driven game with all of you guys, but I also really enjoy rolling dice and playing combat and doing dungeon crawls and stealth checks and all that kind of shit. So, And that's what they were into. They, they wanted to do their outside-of-combat stuff. They wanted to have their in-combat stuff. Uh, Strahd was there. He came in and he came out, or Strahd's allies came in and came out, and... They were terrified of all of them, but that just wasn't... Uh, and maybe if we had kept playing, then maybe they would have been more invested in the story. Um, but I just don't think that it was as heavily of a plot-driven game as what you guys are all used to. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of interesting because I, I really love this the, the fact that they were embracing the downtime stuff too. So in the past with our games, the way downtime comes around, usually the actions that we perform downtime has usually been very character driven until Matt really introduced the pleasures of shopping to oh us. Oh my god! <laughs> and suddenly we became, it became this collective shopping downtime experience. activity. Shopping no, simulator. No, no, 2020. I, we shouldn't gloss over this. Like I don't think I ever made shopping a big thing in any adventure I ever ran until I saw Matt do it in Star Wars, and we literally spent, I think, two hours just <laughs> shopping and talking to shopkeepers who he fully role-played out. And it wasn't like these guys were even giving us quests and things. They were literally just bantering with us, telling, telling us, us stories, um, selling stuff, talking to us about their wares. You know, We'd be like, oh, can you build me a bomb that's bigger than this bomb? And he'd be like, well, how much money you got? And then they would haggle. Um but did you do that accidentally, or was that on purpose? Like honestly, it's just it, it's it it derived from a lot of different things. Uh, podcasts I had listened to over the years, the Adventure Zone, uh, they had like a 
magical warehouse where they would have like a portal tour. They would show up every time and there'd be items there and they'd buy from uh, critical role. Did, did kind of had some magical item shops too. And I just basically was like, I really like item shops. And when I did star Wars, I was like, and it was just like a one-time thing. Now it's coming to like a big perspective of like yeah. every time, like that's probably the most time spent is like getting that. Um, we spend more shops. time in those shops than in combat for sure. That is true. But it's also extremely enjoyable. It's and fun. it's the first time in all of our games no offense to the uh, the rest of us, but he made us look like chumps because gold or currency never mattered before, and shopping typically wasn't an option. We we've had maybe in an entire campaign three to five times we could shop. Yeah, yeah, it like didn't matter. Yeah, and and typically for me, it's never really mattered a lot. I did adapt his uh, shopping simulator for for the Tales of Devery that we were running online when COVID oh, started. Nice. Uh, which was fine, and which really did actually work very well in Tavaria, right? But would not work in the Dark Kingdom. It's no. just not the place for those kind of shops. But I had a lot of fun, and honestly, uh, so Matt was the inspiration for our Steal Our Shop series that we're, we're doing, which you can find on snwproductions.com. Uh, First one's out. First one's out. I did it. Matt's the real master of it, though, so I just, I just wanted to get something out there, a little extra for everybody. But Matt is the master of that, and I cannot wait to see what he creates for downloading and for our Patreon listen, our subscribers. You know, coming back to sort of the thread that runs through everything we're talking about, it, it seems like fun is one of the key components of successful collaborative storytelling, right? Like if if the fun gets off the rails, right, maybe you got a DM that's like, you can't shop. I want you to focus on the story. You can't do a distillery. We got to kill Strahd, you know, like if you that that makes characters, if especially if they want to do that thing and you're not giving them any opportunity to at least make an attempt at it, that makes them not have fun, which makes them maybe want to emotionally disconnect from the narrative. Or and, quit. Or quit. And and so when we talk about collaborative storytelling, I want to make sure we don't confuse it with a meta plot, right. which is a different thing. And so, yes, in Strahd, there's this meta plot of Strahd and Irina and all the things going on, um, Taroka deck and all that. But a story can be anything right so like they that that same play i don't know the person who, who played that character but you know that person might be at work saying uh oh yeah i played this D D campaign and it was great i built a distillery and it was crazy and my buddy was always stealing stuff from all the houses and he's telling the story right. that you guys told collaboratively and he's got a big grin on his face while he's doing it you know the the same player that wanted to steal everything was hell-bent on having a squirrel as a pet <laughs> And so I eventually got her the squirrel and she wanted to train it to start stealing gold coins from people. I actually love that. I love that. So yeah, she was uh, in the process of doing animal handling checks to teach her squirrel how to steal gold coins. Wow. Animal handling for that. I roll it. So, so, so from another perspective that I'd like to actually look at too is from the player's perspective, we've been talking a lot about the dungeon master's perspective about how to do this collaborative storytelling and one thing I was also thinking while we were talking about this is also there is a little bit of onus on the players too, to know that they've got that free agency and to have fun with it, but also not let it steal away from another player's um, story time as well and not steal away from the, the, from the actual overall goal that your party is trying to accomplish that it, it gets in the way. What do you guys think about that? Oh, no, you're 100% right. If, if, there's been a lead up, like it, 
use Ravenloft, we use it the whole time. There's been a lead up between Strahd and the Paladin of the party, and they get to a confrontation, right? And they're having it out, and then someone's like, "Well, I have my squirrel go itch Strahd." It's like Strahd, like don't don't do that. Like don't don't mess up other people's story moments because you're you should be able to get yours and you have yours, especially if it's a squirrel, right? But don't like be aware. Don't like it might be something your character would do, but don't be annoying. Like remember that. There's five other people around the table, and they have to enjoy it as well. And it kind of ties into our last uh, our discussion about the catapult of chaos, and 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 like we I said, sometimes that's good, right? The catapult of chaos can yes. make some very interesting things, but there's also being that person at the table that is just completely and continuously hogging the spotlight and not giving other players time. Now that's also on the DM a bit too, right? The DM has to make sure everybody gets a little bit of their own time, and I think that's something we're all balanced about. Mm-hmm. Uh, as dungeon masters, we all kind of give every character their moment to shine, but it's it's a but it's a two way street, and the players have to be a little bit on board with this too, not to let their their free agency take over completely. Yeah, absolutely. It's about I think it's about respect. Yeah, get the respect of the players and the DM, whether whatever position you're in. We talk about that that power dynamic, right? And to, to your point, Mike, as a player, you may not have power over all the stuff happening in the story, but you do have power over what your character does in the story. And that power does come with a responsibility, which is to, you know, make it all make sense within everything else that's happening. And we've all heard the story or maybe even played with that person who was super disrespectful of the prep that the dungeon master put into the session or into everyone else at the table who showed up and they're serious and they want to play and they really want to see what happens next in the adventure. And then you find that guy who's like, yeah, no, I, you know, I know that everything we're supposed to do is West from here. I'm going to go East. I just, you know, why? I don't know. I just want to. Right. And I think that that, I mean, you <laughs> to borrow one of Keenan's terms, that just might be a bad player. That might be somebody who, maybe the dungeon master in between sessions should have a conversation with. And, and I wanted to ask this because um, Mike, a, a few sessions ago in Lich War, you guys leveled up and your sorcerer Shavin got access to uh, basically a uh, plane shift, right? And you guys had ended the last session before the level up in front of Candlekeep. And I, as DM, went to Mike outside of the session and said, hey, man, Please don't teleport everybody away from Candlekeep now that you're here. Because I've got a prep for this session, and everything that's going to happen in Candlekeep is, like, it's a lot of characters to develop. It's a lot of, like, plot points to put in there. Like, please don't just take everybody to Sigil or to some other place. Like, and, and so my question, Mike, is did that make you as a player feel bad that I, as a dungeon master, was telling you that? Or No, no. Remember what my answer was? Well, I do, but I wanted you to say it for I mean, the I'm podcast. S- I'm so going to teleport us right out you of did, there. did, and then I cried. <laughs> no, 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 it didn't, because actually I had not even considered that. And possibly the reason why I hadn't considered this, because I wanted to go to Candlekeep, for one thing, is, you know, I've, I've ran sessions in Candlekeep, and that's a great play, source of information for players. But also it just, it wouldn't have been logical at the time. Like, it, that was a really safe haven for us, and we needed to rest, regroup, and figure out our next move. So, but no, I, I didn't feel any, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Every once well, we just had, we just had a discussion of his above table today about Mavericks and, and Dark Kingdom. Sometimes it's okay to have those above the table, you know, conversations with the players individually to get a kind of headspace because you are telling kind of the same story. So would you be a bad player if you told the DM, 
Um, like so, like for example, if 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 the DM had said, "Hey, what do you think you're going to do next session based on what happened last session?" and the player says, "Well, I think we are going to go into Candlekeep. I think we think that's what we need to do." And then the session, you know, comes, and you go, "Actually, I changed my mind. I want to I want to do something else instead." Would that make you a bad player, Keenan? I, I mean, think so. absolutely. <laughs> like you're not respectful. Like something I wanted to mention earlier was like have open, honest conversations about the game. Maybe not meta narrative stuff but talk everyone needs to be talking about this stuff constantly make group threads talk about it decompress after the session but yeah especially with that you're just in any situation where you change your mind on that you're you're just going back on what you said that's not cool especially when it's six other people however many other people's story and you're just like yeah i don't want to do that anymore that's just that's just rude like you got to respect everyone around the table and and commit to what you said you might have said you know what man i thought we should go here instead you can pull that up to the five-person party in the DM, right? And say, hey, I, you know what? I realize maybe we want to go here instead. Talk it out, but don't just don't just ruin it. Think about your DM. I mean, honestly, I mean, we, me and John, we, have, we have one session every month. But even if we have one session every month, there's no way that, you know, I mean, I have a lot of vast knowledge of Star Wars, but if you guys immediately say, I'm jumping over to this planet, like in the middle of a session, I'll be like, Oh, okay. Like now I've got to try and think about all this stuff. You're going to throw me off like too much. Like there's a little bit of, you know, improv, but then that's like stretching it even further or you have to like, then you have to kind of start making up everything on the spot. Yeah. And, and honestly not. And here's the thing. It's like there, most of us are really good about improving on the spot. If we have to Keenan and I probably being the two leads in that Keenan being even a little more, more than I am. Um, and I can't speak for every DM out there. But I know we put an extensive amount of prep into what we do. A lot of prep. And a lot of that has to do is because we we play a little differently. We have we have the visuals on the on the big screen behind us. We've got our uh, digital maps. We have our soundscapes we're doing. Even if the DM is just doing the normal old school prep we used to do, which would be just the notes, right? Theater of the mind. Theater of the mind, whatever it is. That dungeon master has still put a ton of time and a ton of thought and effort. It's free time to entertain and 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 bring everyone into that world and and the players need to give a little bit of that back too yeah i think i think that i mean a dm does it because they care like yeah. i want to have fun so i put the time in to make it a better experience for all of us there of course is going to be i think we focus a lot on some of the like really bad stereotypes in the game but yeah. there's going to be people that are like i just want people to listen to my story and we're not gonna be able to help that guy too much but the DM does what he does because he cares. He wants to have fun with his friends or meet new people who are going to play around the table and have a good time. And and let me give a word of advice to any DMs out there listening. Uh, don't be that guy. Don't be that DM that just wants to tell his story no matter what because you are not going to keep players. You're going to wonder why nobody wants to come and play or why players cancel, why pe- schedules are hard to get together. Look, we have busy lives, all of us, yet we make time. For everybody, we get what, how many games? We got three different games going right now, and we make time to to make four. that four. Yeah, four different games. Yeah, already done. We got four different games going on right now, and we make time to do that. Each in each individual one of us make the times and the scheduling changes to do that because we are getting something out of it every time. Whether we're a player or a dungeon master, we're getting that uh, that thrill. You know, that thrill of that collective storytelling, not knowing where everything's going to go, not knowing how the character is going to react. You know, the one thing we haven't talked about that is absolutely essential to collaborative storytelling? 
the dice. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh man. Oh. How could we be so arrogant to uh-huh. forget the dice? Embrace. Because we're dice. sitting here talking about all the power the DM has, all the power yeah. the players has, but, but when that dice rolls a 1 or a 20, all the power is in those on the, in those rolls, baby. It's you know, the, we joke about one of my characters, Diego, and how he betrayed the party <laughs> like five or six times. Well, they were all as a result of mind control in some form of another, and it was because he failed a wisdom save. And that's why he portrayed the party so many times. And which always led to really fun, dramatic moments. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, especially the first and second time it happened, I think. Oh, yeah. It led to some fun, dramatic moments. And then also the um, uh, the the healing moments, right? That that was actually some of my favorite role-playing moments that happened in the game. There's a lot of f- favorite. In Quest for Boost, there were so many favorite role-playing moments. But just the healing moments where you guys came together after a little bit of division was just always sweet to me. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm just like a little tear in my eye. Oh, I was just going to have a fun little quip, uh, but just saying, you know, the DM might be God, but the dice are the God of gods. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No absolutely. Doubt. No doubt. The over God. <laughs> so uh, if we're speaking of dice, I know that Cody has strong opinions. I think Matt does too. But when it comes to a 20, what does that really mean? Uh, it depends. It depends. If, if it's in combat, then you get a crit. If it's literally anything else in fifth edition, then you, it means you. I feel like we're going to have to make this a separate episode <laughs> that, because this is this conversation we, might rip our friendship apart. I'm just saying, <laughs> if you guys want to roll so many crits during the game, play Pathfinder Second. Yeah. Uh, it's, not about, it's not about the crits. I'm curious. I'm like, okay, so if I roll a twenty on a persuasion check to the big bad, then you yeah. add your persuasion skill modifier, and that's the result you get. So, so I'll, I'll say, uh, I'll I say differed. as a disclaimer to the community listening, like. At all of our games we have rolling, at the, at, you know, in, in our games, we do play by the rule that a one is a crit fail and a twenty is a crit success, uh, even on ability checks and things like that. So, um, it, not necessarily saving throws, though. Sometimes ones on saving throws can be bad. Yeah. Um, but I, what I personally like about that, and I'm not saying it's right, I'm just saying it's I like it, is when we talk about collaborative storytelling, it can create really wild moments that otherwise would not have happened. Yeah, and and that's why I embrace. Look, if you if you are are making an ability check, or, you know, a, a skill check, and you roll that at twenty, then if there's a contested roll, they have to roll that twenty to beat it. That's the only way I like to do that. And, and and it goes back for me. And this is this is something that I just embrace. I I've I've always embraced the wildness of the dice. Right. That's why I love playing. Uh, wild Magic users back in Second Editions. Why I still love Sorcerers you today. Still love Wild Magic. I love Wild Magic. But it's also why I love the old West End Games D6 Star Wars system so much. And there are people who love it, and there's people that despise it, absolutely despise it, because it's almost always a crit fail. You've got your wild (laughs) dice, man. You got your wild dice, and you're rolling four dice, and the the chances are one of those are going to roll a one. It's pretty pretty good. But it was how I embraced that narrative that it wasn't always, you know, catastrophic. It might be a, a lesser failure. It might be a comical failure. If the the drama was right in the story, then yeah, it's going to be something catastrophic. And I think that's something that I've tried to embrace with the Nat One in in most of my Dungeons and Dragons. You know, not years. Dark Kingdom. Yeah, not Dark Kingdom. No, no, because Dark Kingdom is a little old school. Dark, Dark Kingdom goes. Dark Kingdom back. is mean. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have a question for John. I mean, I guess just just to wrap up because I we can go over this for a long time and this could be like a whole podcast in itself. But let's say if I was a charismatic bard. And, you know, we're all a party and Strahd appears and I rolled to 
Mm, I wouldn't say sedu- I wouldn't say seduce Strahd because I feel like he might be into that. Yeah, I mean, possibly. Yeah. Persu- persuade I persuade guy. him to give up everything he is believes in. If I roll a nat twenty, do I then critically? Oh man, succeed? this is such a good question, man. Well, so so here's how I interpret it, and I think most of you at the table probably would agree with this. Even a a crit success is not necessarily a magical success that that breaks the the boundaries of what's possible, right? So, you know, if uh, if if a, a strength eight halfling says, "Oh, I'm going to lift this boulder," oh, I rolled a crit twenty, right? Like maybe the crit success is you don't throw your back out. Right. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like that's the max you can do, little, little guy. Like, you know, so I think as a DM, this comes back to the DM. This is why the, the DM, the players, and the dice kind of become a, a checks and balances system for each other in collaborative storytelling. The DM has to interpret what a crit success and a crit failure looks like. Right, and I think that, to Matt's point, so, yes, like if you're just fighting, you know, Joe Bob, Hob, Hob, Boblin the Hobgoblin over there, you're fighting him and you roll a, uh, a nat 20 and I said oh, well he's got to roll a nat 20 to beat whatever it is say it's a athletics check now obviously within the 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 story within the frame of the narrative if you're going up against Strahd yeah that no it's not going to be that way because Strahd's something else he's he's bigger than the rest of the story yeah wow this is this I really enjoyed this conversation this yeah, was, me too. This was good. good man anybody could, you gonna, could go on longer we probably could. <laughs> we probably could, yeah. Anybody got any closing thoughts, though, or ben, as far as uh, collective storytelling, player-free agency? I mean, we've covered a lot I of feel, ground today. Yeah, I would say uh, the best thing that I would think that came about this was is just that rope theory. You know, one strand is the DM, one strand is the player, one strand is the dice, you know, and you can't really control that. But they will braid a rope, however hectic it might be. Yes. Yes, that was a good, good analogy. Thank you. So, and by the way, Matt, I'm not really sure if you would, as a bard, you were trying to seduce Strahd, you would really... You'd probably actually succeed. I would have let you succeed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If yeah, it was you, Ooh, it, just me. If it was DM Popatine, yes. Yeah, because because I, I know how I know how I know how he talked about Arena being. Hey, Tatiana was a ginger. I think. Yeah, yeah, I know so, how. He, well, Strahd talked about Arena being kind of his love of his life and everything. But every once in a while, I'd catch him giving a sideways glance at at Chauvin, and there was something in those eyes. Desire. <laughs> I, I look. My final thoughts would just be as a DM. Um, hmm, as a DM understand the story is not just yours. And if you can, if you can understand that and really internalize it and say a a great Dungeons and Dragons or any tabletop game session is not going to be the one where you decided every single element of that game, that is a really freeing moment to realize that because now you're not responsible for every single thing that happens in the story. So yeah, pressure's off. And I would say that my final closing thoughts, not only the pressure off because of that, but also then uh, you might keep your friends. True. <laughs> True. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for uh, hanging out with us here in legend lore uh, brought to you by strange new worlds productions. If you like what you've heard, please drop by our website and visit uh, our shop. We've got a lot of downloadable content since our launch on the 16th. Uh, I think you'll like what you find there. Uh, If you really want to help us kind of keep this going, keep the downloadable content coming, keep these podcasts alive, please visit and subscribe to our Patreon page. We've got three different tier levels there. We can meet anybody's budget. And we're going to keep cranking out some good stuff. 